This is the Ezra podcast. Packed fight weekend. Overly packed. Almost not even fair to the viewer of how packed this fight weekend is. And it's going to take some managing, especially if like you don't have DVR, which I don't have DVR. I have it like on Sling, but that doesn't work for you know the ESPN Plus and all that. And I know you're saying you can watch those anytime, but it's still not the same. It's not still the same as watching a live fight. And also, if I need to expand from when I can watch the fight, right? Like if I need, if I'm, if I'm going to wait to watch them all separately, that's a, that's a lot of viewing. That's a lot of hours putting in. I don't think people realize the fall of this sport, how much hours it takes and how much effort. Because there's effort in this, even though you love it and I love it, and even though I enjoy it. They are, there is time put in, effort put in to keep up with everything going on. Like Earl Spence pulls out a Manny Pacquiao fight. So you have to have an opinion on that. And you have to, you know, see what happened there. But you also have like five cards this fight in this weekend. It's with boxing, MMA, it's a lot. It's a lot. But let's see. I'll start off with Earl Spence. I wanted to wait, but let me start off with that. Where Earl Spence. I think um, Manny Pacquiao got the same deal Canelo was looking for. And I think everybody thought that it was insane what Canelo was asking. And it turns out that's just the industry industry standard for a superstar. When time is money and training camps and all and your time in boxing are limited, you want to make sure you, when you go through these things, it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And especially in a time when we have COVID and canceling a lot of fights, it makes a lot of sense to say, have a backup and say, hey, this is guaranteed no matter what. If this man pulls out, we can agree on the opponent, but this is guaranteed. And that's what Manny Pacquiao had. And people are saying, oh, you know, can't, you know look at Pacquiao. He didn't turn down the fight. He didn't even have to think about it. Yeah, he wouldn't have to think about it because it was predetermined. They said, if this fight doesn't happen, we're going to take you guys. And he's going to replace whoever pulls out. And Pacquiao made sure he had the same pay. That's why it was no time to waste or no negotiations happen because the deal was already set. And now we still get an excellent fight. And they did a UFC thing where they brought in a guy. That was fighting on the card, and I know his opponent got hurt. So people are going to say, well, no, his opponent got hurt. That's why he has a fight. No, he was going to get the fight whether his opponent got hurt or not. And Yugas is a credible opponent. Very good. If he was fighting Earl Sprints, people would be excited about that fight. Now, is it as exciting as Earl Sprints versus Pacquiao? Of course not. Of course it isn't. But let's say Pacquiao smokes Yugas, right? And that's not a for sure. I'm not saying that that's what I'm predicting. It's just to say he does, right? He looks great in it. And he smokes Yugas. Well, if Pacquiao comes back, and that's a big if, comes back later this year to fight Spence, that's a much bigger fight. Because right now, we're not really sure what Pacquiao we're going to get. We're not, we're not really sure what Pacquiao we're going to get. We think we know, but a lot of people think that it might be a really lesser Pacquiao that we once saw. Or some of us think that it's going to look like the same. Effective, strong, fast. We don't know. So now, if he smokes Yugas, right, who's a credible fighter, probably should have a win over Porter, smoke Figueroa, well, then that puts him, like, you know, gets us thinking again, like, oh, man, what, what, what do we have here? With him versus Spence, builds the, builds the hype up on it. That's if Pacquiao comes back. This still might be Pacquiao's last fight, and that's why he was so quick to take it as well. It's because he's saying, well, in my schedule-wise, this make, makes the most sense. I can't wait for Spence. I'm going to be running for president. I, I still love this fight. Still a good fight. And it's not Spence. I give you that. But I think it might build up something bigger and better with Spence. And if you got Smokes Pacquiao, 
Well, then that's that's still good for spins. Now it's not going to be the same money that Pacquiao was, but Ugas is going to have a major credible win. He's going to have a belt. It'll be for undisputed versus Spence. And that's a huge that's a huge pay-per-view right there. I still like this fight. Still like everything that's going on. Wish it was Spence, but I think that, you know, in the long term, this might play out better. Let's get to this weekend's fights. We got Virgil Ortiz versus the Mean Machine. This is a sneaky comparison fight for Terrence Crawford. Now, Terrence Crawford is in preliminary talks with Porter. Now, we haven't heard anything on it. That could be a good thing. From everybody on Twitter, that's the best way to negotiate. Or it could be a bad thing. That means that there's no traction, nowhere to go. And this goes to a purse bid, and maybe Crawford pulls out. And then it ends up with the winner of this fight fighting the win- uh, Porter for the, I believe it's WBC. I'm not sure what about it is. WBA, maybe. And so maybe this is a comparison fight for Virgil Ortiz. Maybe this is to see that, you know, Crawford didn't have the, exactly the easiest time with Mean Machine. He got the stoppage, but it wasn't an easy fight. And if Virgil Ortiz can run through Mean Machine, well, what does that show that he's at, right? And maybe Golden Boy wants to know, who's been doing an excellent job bringing up their stars. Maybe they want to see where he's at. Maybe Virgil needs to know where he's at. Maybe the whole boxing public needs to know. Because if he runs through Mean Machine, he's going to have his pick of a lot of great fighters. Now, whether they can make those fights and cross-promotion and all that, that, you know, that's to be seen. But he will have his pick of a lot of great fighters. And he has a, you know, he's already building a little fan base. He's already, you know, an exciting, was already an exciting prospect now coming into contender. And all you're going to see is the Crawford struggle against me machine, and he ran through him. All you're going to see is that Jose Ramirez struggled against Hooker, and he ran through him. They are bringing him up correctly because for, uh, with the correct opponents. Now, where's Virgil Ortiz bringing to the table? He's very calculated, very technical, has really good pop. Can go to war if he wants to. Could be aggressive if he wants to, but it's very. It could be defensively aware if he wants to. It's a lot of things of whether he wants to. I know people say that when he fought Hooker, they thought you know he showed a few things where he could get hit and stuff. I think he chose to be more aggressive in that fight. I think he knew that Hooker was undersized already at the weight. I think he knew that Hooker was open to big shots, and I just think that he said, "I'm going to go and put it on him, and I'm going to look impressive." Now, was it a tough fight? Yes. Is Hooker a good opponent? I believe so. But Hooker hasn't beat anyone at 147. And he never really had a big win in 140. But I think that Virgil Ortiz knew what he was getting into in that fight. I think in this fight, he might be a little more calculated. And I think he wants to win this fight pretty one-sided, whether it's defensively, offensively. I think he just wants to win this fight better than Crawford won his fight. I remember Crawford was hurt versus Mean Machine. And what Mean Machine brings to the table is he has some good pop. He's sturdy. He's, he's a stocky guy at the weight. He falls in a little bit, but he's technical with his offense. When he's coming forward, he can put, he's pushed some good shots in. Now, going backwards, he's going to struggle. His leg movement's a little bit slow. His left hand drops a lot. I think Virgil Ortiz's right hand is going to find a home a, a very, actually pretty often in this fight. And I think this is going to be you know a technical offensive shootout. Both guys looking to land big shots. I just think that Virgil Ortiz is going to find openings because Mimushi is not as defensively sound. And when you got two guys that are really good offensively, 
it's the other things, right? It's like if you had uh, MMA and you have two good wrestlers, it's like, okay, well, then who could stand up? Who has good submissions? It's the other things that start becoming more important. You got two guys that are good offensively here. It's going to be like, okay, well, then who has good defense? Because I don't think Mean Machine's offense is vastly superior to Virgil Ortiz. No, I think Virgil Ortiz's offense is superior to Mean Machine. So he would have to bring other things to the table. And I think he's lacking the other things in this type of fight, especially against Virgil Ortiz. I think Virgil Ortiz is going to look very good in this fight. I think people will be very excited about Virgil Ortiz. This is the perfect opponent. I think the next level up is top five guy. I expect Virgil Ortiz to win this fight. Big right hand. Get the stoppage. Around the sixth round. My counter is me machine. Gets his offense going. Virgil Ortiz. He gets Virgil Ortiz in the rhythm of an all action fight. And it allows Virgil Ortiz to open up, and he starts landing big shots. And I think that the the faster uh, Mean Machine can get his offense going, the better for him. I don't think he wants to be in a you know a technical fight trying to get it starting late. To me, I think that favors Virgil Ortiz. So I think if Mean Machine is going to win this fight, to me, the best way to be would be getting off early, not letting Virgil Ortiz get used to your looks, and getting in, pounding him with shots. Maybe overly aggressive Virgil Ortiz and getting the stoppage in the fourth round. That's the counter. Now I'm picking Virgil Ortiz in this fight. I think he's going to look very good. I think it's going to be technical. But I think Virgil Ortiz is going to land more effective shots. And eventually stop Mean Machine. And a very impressive win for him. On the card, you have Roger Gutierrez versus Rene Alvarado in the third fight. Uh, Roger Gutierrez got the stoppage the last fight. Um, we got his uh, Alvarado's brother, Felix Alvarado, who I think is the better of the Alvarados, versus Eric Lopez in a title fight. So it's a, good, it's a decent card. Golden Boy puts on very good cards. Next, to me, the biggest fight of the weekend is John Riel Casimero, Casimero versus Guillermo Rigondeaux. Now, Rigondeaux is a, you know, is a, he's an indie fighter to me, right? It's like an indie band. It's like, you know, respected by the true boxing fan. For his talents, for his skills, for what he did to Donaire. He has a loss to Lomachenko, right? But, you know, the, the, there's excuses there for Lomachenko being bigger than him. I thought Lomachenko outskilled him. Similar in the way that Floyd Mayweather outskilled Marquez, even though he outweighed him and didn't, you know, didn't come in on weight the way he was supposed to. But he still outskilled him. It wasn't, he didn't beat him due to the size. I didn't think Lomachenko beat him due to the size. Now, I hear people making excuses for him, like, oh, well, Rigondeaux didn't even care to show up at that fight. I don't give a damn about that. You know, he got in the ring, right? He agreed to fight. He didn't show up. Well, that's on him. What the hell do I make? Would I make excuses for that? But Rigondeaux is extremely sharp, and he's at a more comfortable weight now, a weight that he's been pretty dominant at his whole career. But the problem with Rigondeaux is he's 40 years old at a lower weight. 40 years old. Fighting still at, you know, 122 pounds. 118 pounds, I believe. It's unheard of. It really is. It's unheard of. It's not... At those weights, 34 is like about it. You're not going to death store at that point. And he's fighting an explosive fighter in Casemiro. Who's really coming into his own. Who's really confident. And confidence... Is an underrated thing when you're talking about fighting because he's going to use his offense right away. He, he truly believes in what he's doing. And when a guy's truly believing in what he's doing, he's no second guessing. So he's going to come out, and to me, he's going to come out firing. And I don't think Rigondeaux has the legs that he once did. 
I think he's a little bit more pick his shots, but hold you off with his power. He's going to put a lot into his left hand. But I don't think Casemiro's going to get hit and think, well, I'm going to be more careful when I come in. I don't think he's that kind of guy. Which just could lead to, you know, has the formula to be a very exciting fight. But also has a formula to be a fight where Rigondeaux is just picking spots too much and not able to actually win rounds. I think Rigondeaux gets dropped early in this fight. He got hurt early in this in the last fight. It wasn't by a guy that hits this hard. And I think that takes his legs a little bit time to warm up. And it gets him a little used to figure out the guy's rhythm and distance. So I think he gets hurt and dropped early in this fight. Now I think he's smart enough to maybe take a few of the middle rounds or at least get in the survival mode or at least keep the distance or keep it, you know, Casemiro maybe not able to get his offense the way he wants to, how he started off early. But I think Casemiro's going to be too much late. Casemiro's a... He looks like he's a one-punch fighter. He's going to come out a lot of heavy right hands. And then he, like, takes you in a low where you're just, like, watching that right hand. And then the left hand starts coming out, left uppercuts and hooks. And his legs are very good. Now, they're not technical. I'm sure he makes mistakes with them. But he's very balanced. Like, he can, he's going to hit you, and he's very jumpy and balanced on his legs. That He can hit you with another shot, and he can reach you with spots maybe you didn't think he could reach. Or he gets you faster than you think. And he also switches on the inside. It's really shift. It's a real quick shift on the inside, switch on the inside. But it helps you, it helps him set up other shots. And with Rigondeaux not having the same exact head movement and leg movement, have, that could be a problem for him. Not, you know, not being able to react to what Casemiro is doing. I don't think he will be. I think Casemiro is going to win this fight late in the stoppage. I think he's going to drop him early. I think Rigondeaux is going to get in rhythm. And then Casemiro is going to put it on him late and get the stoppage in this fight. I think the age is going to catch up to him. I think a hungry, athletic guy with power and pretty damn good legs is going to take this take this fight. And the Donair fight would have been very good with Casemiro. Very unfortunate we didn't get that fight. But Casemiro is a, he's a damn good fighter. And if he wins this fight, or even Rigna wins this fight, there's plenty of options PBC has. Especially with 122 being right there. Especially with a guy like Casemiro, whose power is the real deal. This is a good fight. This is an excellent fight. And you have Philippines versus Cuba, which you're going to have next week with Yugas versus Pacquiao. I think the Donair versus Casemiro would have been action-packed all out. I'm curious what if, you know, Rigondeaux just getting too, enough pressure on him that this turns into that kind of war, but... To me, Rigondeaux not going to be that because it's never really been his temperament. Now, he might be in more entertaining fights now just because he's more hittable, but I don't think he's going to be in all that war. I don't believe that. And I think that he's more likely to shell up than to really, you know, try to explode out. All right, let's go to our next fight. We have on ESPN... Joshua Franco versus Andrew Maloney. And this is a third fight. This is a trifecta. The first fight, Joshua Franco broke down Maloney. Won a decision. Broke him down late. Which is pressure. And Maloney, to me, fought in a bad style for that fight. He fought in a bad strategy. Used a lot of movement. Uh, wasted a lot of energy, in my opinion. Tried to fight on the inside at spurts with uh, Franco. And to me, just didn't have enough of the tank. It just fought the wrong style for that type of fight. Then you go to the rematch, and Maloney changes everything. 
doesn't waste movement, doesn't um, use excessive punches on the inside, starts just lighting uh, Franco up with the jab, and he cuts him. Now, th- there was a one clip that I saw that could look like a headbutt, but it looked like it was a jab. Through, it was a cut through a jab, uh, eye closed through a jab. And controversially, they call it a no contest. In a fight that looked like Andrew Maloney had. So now we're going to the third one that's Adelaide. And I know that the majority of the fights that we've seen, a uh, portion we've seen them in the ring, Franco has won those the portions. I get that. And the part that Maloney won in the last fight was probably the portion that he won in the first fight. They're in rounds. So you would say, well, what would happen if they would have kept going? Franco would have probably broke him down again. But it didn't look the same. He wasn't wasting the energy. It wasn't taking that much energy. The jab was... Spot on, and Franco didn't have an answer for it. It looked like he had figured him out. It looked like he had the blueprint. So if we go into this fight, I'm going to say he's going to have the same blueprint. And to be fair with Maloney's tech uh, ability and style, he's able to adjust more than Franco is. Franco kind of has his style down. Franco's a come-forward fighter. His head movement doesn't really happen unless he sets his feet to do the head movement, unless he's thinking about doing head movement. He doesn't really cut off the ring, kind of just comes forward. He has a array, of, uh, a array of punches, but, I mean, because of his legs on the limit, he has to get in the spot to do it. And Maloney has the ability to move around, jab, and not allow Franco to get to that spot easily. And that may cost Franco, you know, time to get, to get things set up. Also, Franco, another thing I noticed is that when he comes forward, he comes forward with the front foot, the back foot first. Instead of leading with the front foot. Now, this takes away time to be able to get your punches off as fast as you want. It's a little thing. It's a little thing. But watch it. Watch for it. His back foot moves first. So that means that his back foot moves and then his front foot has to go. So coming forward, it takes he has to get set before he can punch. And with that step, that one little thing in his step, it buys Maloney enough time to move or get off on shots. Now, Maloney can work on the inside. He doesn't have that ability. I don't think he wants to do that with Franco. I don't think that'd be, you know, the the smartest strategy. I think that's giving Franco what he wants. And Maloney did that a lot in the first fight. He gave Franco what he wanted. In the second fight, he wasn't didn't look like he was leading that way. It looked like he wasn't giving him what he wanted. He was making him earn it, making him earn it through the jab. And I just think that Franco is not gonna make enough adjustments in this fight. I think he's gonna have a similar, you know, a, a similar uh, mentality of coming forward and you know, having a high tight guard and taking shots on it, and then coming forward and putting pressure and Maloney falling apart. I don't think Maloney's going to fall apart. I think he figured it out. I think what i seen, I liked. I think he's going to win a lot of early rounds. I think he might have to survive, you know, a, a few rounds late where Franco's used to applying the pressure. Maloney might have to catch a second win, but he's going to pull out late and pull out a decision in this fight. I think it's going to be a very impressive performance, and I look for his jab in this fight. I think his jab's going to be very important, that it's as sharp as it was last time. The counter is that Franco's pressure just breaks him. And then Maloney loses himself and with Franco's pressure. And Franco does set little traps, right? Like, he's not come forward and not able to go back. He does. He'll go forward and he'll take one step back. Or he'll come forward, not all the way that you think, so you explode on him. He's able to take a little space back that allows him to open up with his shots. When his feet are set, he's very dangerous. It's when his feet are not set. Is that Franco gets in trouble. So the, the counter is just the pressure. The pressure gets him a decision. I think this fight goes to decision either way. It's going to go decision for either guy. But it's going to be the pressure for Franco. 
And can he set up enough traps and give enough looks coming forward and enough small steps to lo- to big steps of cutting off space for Maloney that gives him trouble? On the undercard, you have uh, the Sal job they're doing for uh, Ali's nephew, who I'm not sure he has Ali in his name. I, th- I believe his name is Nico Walsh, but they put Ali in the middle. I don't know if that's real or not, but I've never seen him. We've never seen him, but th- he's the co-main event, I believe. And then you have a very good fighter in Arnold Barboza, who will pretty soon be competing for a title at 140. And then you have Jason Maloney versus Joshua Greer, who Greer is a prospect that never really hasn't got to that next stage far in his career. And Maloney got stopped by uh, in a way, but he's a good, very good fighter. So it's an interesting fight. I think that Jason should probably win that fight. But let's see if Greer, you know, with better competition and maybe, you know, a few changes into his style, maybe in camp. We'll see what he brings. I think that's a very interesting matchup. We go to Bellator on Friday. You got Gegard Mousasi versus John Salter. I think Mousasi, you know, he doesn't, he's never really wowed anyone. He had built up hype, you know, coming early on in his career. And he was like one of those guys that, you know, outside the UFC that people thought, well, this guy could probably beat the guys in the UFC. And it was the point of when Anderson was dominating. So it was like maybe Anderson's, maybe possibly his best opponent he could have had that was in the UFC, right? So it helped build him up. When he went to UFC, he had success and then, you know, never world champion. You know, he just kind of up and down a little bit. It goes to Bellator, wins their belt, has been dominating the um, middleweight division. For a while now. I think going into this fight, people are, are wondering about his age. And if there, there's a... If there's a moment where it's just all going to fall over the ledge. But the thing was, John Salter, is he's the same age. Now, Salter has one style, and that's let me get you down on the ground. He has very good weight distribution on top. He's very strong. He gets past the guard. I just... It's similar to the Chiesa fight with um, Luke It's just that one guy's bringing one thing, and Gegard knows that. Not that Gegard hasn't been taken down before and controlled, because he has. But he's he's not bad in a grapple. And he'll look take down himself. And he could stand. I just think that the guy that's bringing more to the table, and they're the same age, maybe not as much wear and tear on Salter, but... Still the same age. I don't think Salter's some explosive, you know, athlete. I think that stand-up-wise, he's... I don't think he has any threat, really, to Gegard. The whole point will be this fight is can he get Gegard to the ground early? And can he take enough energy out of him? To where Gegard's not able to get the stand-up late. I think Gegard's going to control this fight from the go, stand-up-wise. And I think that that gets Salter in desperate situations for desperate takedowns. And when people get a desperate takedown, desperate situation for desperate takedowns, they usually get submitted because they put something out there just to, you know, somehow get this fight to the ground. I think Gegard's going to win a, a, a scramble one point in this fight, and he's going to end up on top. And I think he's going to put, put it on Salter, and eventually Salter will give up something to get the submission for Gegard to win this fight. I pretty feel pretty good in Gegard in this fight. I don't have it in my fake money real bets. I just, because of his age, I was just like... You know, a little skeptical to see, like, especially because I've seen him taken down before and controlled. But that's the way I see it going. My counter is Salter gets him down in the pressure, and Masasi just isn't able really to counter anything. And 
Saucer just controls the fight for five rounds. To a 5-0 decision. But I'm predict- predicting Musasi by submission. Fake money, real bets. Like, you know, I, I, I was hurting. I lost two 500K bets. I was so close to two million. Doubling my money. That's all I needed to do. I lost two 500K bets. And these bets this week, now I feel good about them. But I feel like the amounts... The only reason these amounts are where they're at is because I'm at 691 right now. I won last week with uh, Gone, and I feel like I need to start making some moves. So maybe these are a little bit more desperate bets than I like to admit. That's usually my style, but I'm going to go with Andrew Maloney over Joshua Franco. 300K at minus 195 to 154K. I'm going to go with John Real Casimiro versus Rigo. 300K at minus 235 to 128K. Those are two big payouts, but they're too big risk, honestly. Because they're not guarantees. Now, I like what I see. I like the everything going into them, but they're not guarantees. They're not locks. And I don't feel like they're locks. So I'll be watching, sweating it, but enjoying a long day of fights. And I hope my eyes hurt at the end of it. Because they will. Because I'll have two TVs going. And I'll probably be cross-eyed when I'm 70. I'm okay with that. And I just burped on the mic. Thanks for listening. This has been the Ezra Podcast.